So, um, having just finished the book of Revelation, uh, the last chapter, um, I, I prefer, if, and, and this is maybe just a personal preference, but um, I, I would like to, and I'm going to, uh, review if I could. Because we've, now it was uh, October 28th of 2018 when we started this. And, and so a lot of what we talked about at the very beginning uh, perhaps has faded from our memory. But I, I think it's appropriate that when we finish uh, a book like this that we do have some sort of a, a wrap-up or a conclusion, if we will. And, and so that's what I would like to do tonight um, is, is in a, I, I was going to say briefly, although I, I'm never brief with these sort of things, um, but I would like to uh, look at Revelation from start to finish and hopefully have a little bit more of a uh, an idea of the flow and, and the um, what God is really trying to um, communicate to us. Um, again, and, and I mentioned this over a year ago, but uh, it bears repeating again and just looking at um, some of, of the, you know, what happens around Revelation. But specifically, and, and I, I never would have thought this, um, when, when I first started in, in the book, um, this is a book that most people, I, I would say the majority of people, that's not your first choice to go to Revelation. Uh, you know, we want to do Bible study. What are you going to do? Revelation, says nobody. Typically, right? Because Revelation is really difficult to understand. And there's a lot of imagery in here, and there's a lot of things that we just can't wrap our head around, because in a sense, it's a puzzle, or it's a, um, how have I heard it? Yeah, I guess a puzzle is, is, is the best way, maybe. Um, I'm, the, the real word is, escapes me, but it's, it's a code or a puzzle, and we don't have the key to unlock it, because of the time and the place that we live in. Uh, a lot of the imagery we won't understand. Uh, not to say that we can't take a, a really good guess as we look through Scripture, but uh, some of this, I think, just because of the virtue of where we are in time, uh, we probably can't have a really crystal clear understanding of it. But does that mean that we shouldn't go into the book of Revelation? I have to confess that it has been one of the highlights of my uh, my life going through the Word is the joy that I found by going through the book of Revelation. Um, I never thought that I would get so much out of it. I never thought that I would be so profoundly changed by what I read here. <clears throat> so the the word Revelation... It's not revelations, but it's actually revelation. Uh, it comes from a word, uh, apocalypsis. Uh, we would oftentimes use the word of the apocalypse, right? We look at the end times and we think, oh, the apocalypse. And it's become actually a little bit of a negative word, although it never was a negative word. We've made it so. And perhaps because of the book of Revelation and the, the imagery and the the terrible things that do happen in a portion of the book, we look at this and say, oh, we equate the apocalypse with this. And, and, and so it's actually not a, a negative word. The apocalypsis, revelation, means the unveiling, laying bare. And, and so uh, the, the scripture starts, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is a, an unveiling of Jesus Christ. 
And it's not um, a new look or a new Jesus that is presented in, in the, the scriptures here. Um, but it's, it's actually a, a Jesus that we haven't seen before in this certain way. We have seen Jesus in the, in the four gospels, um, you know, presented as the one who came, the, the lamb, uh, the lamb of God, and we see his life in this world, and it wasn't a glamorous life, and we see the, uh, the terrible sacrifice, and we see then also the resurrection. Uh, we see in the, the teaching and the epistles, we see Jesus presented, um, and how, how, how are we to understand, and how are we to live our lives, and so on and so forth. But we have a different picture of Jesus now. Not a, a different, not a contradictory picture, but it's a picture that we haven't heretofore seen in the scriptures. Although we have seen many, many allusions to Jesus through the scriptures. So I, I found this interesting fact that of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, 265, that's 65, uh, 65.5% of the verses in, in Revelation allude to some other verses in the Old Testament. So there's 550 references to Old Testament verses. So this is not new at all. This is something that the Jewish people, uh, those who had received the Old Testament, the writings uh, of the apostles and the prophets, they knew and they were looking for this Jesus, this Messiah, this one who would come. And so when it says this is an unveiling of him, it's not a, a brand new picture, but like a veil that just, in a sense, obscures what we see. This is what the uh, the scriptures before, they were veiled in a sense that we see references to the Savior. We see references to the Messiah, but we just don't have that perfectly clear picture. And now we do in the book of Revelation. So I want to encourage all of you, and hopefully um, you will take me up on this, uh, that you would not be afraid to look at Revelation. Because what we can know with certainty uh, is so well worth it. So what do we do with the book of Revelation? Because we, there is a lot of things. And I'll, I'll tell you, after having studied it and, and, and studying commentaries and different things, there's a lot of things I still don't understand. A lot of the imagery that I still don't understand. So do we run away from it? Absolutely not. Because the scriptures do tell us many, many times, you need to do this. And with certain, and with clarity, it's not obscure, it's not like a, a reference like, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? Absolutely not. It says, do this. You need to respond this way. It says in uh, the first chapter, verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So it's saying, it's, it's a blessing. You are blessed. You are fortunate if you can read this, the words of these prophecies, and then do them. Keep them. Don't let them fall away. So I'd like to go through Revelation now. And we're going to go through really, really super quick. I've only got a let's say half an hour, and I want to, in a sense, do a, a brief synopsis, but I want to highlight all those places in the scripture, of in this book, that tell us what we need to do. Because men and women, we need to know this stuff, because this stuff is current. So much of what we're, we, we look at is actually happening about us now. It says in the scripture, we live in the last days. 
And, 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 and that, that started once Jesus uh, ascended to heaven. It says this is when the last day. So it's the inter-advent time of uh, when Jesus departed to when he returns. That's the last days. And so we are in the last days. And when we first started this, I never imagined that by the time we would be finishing, that this world would look the way it is. Did you? Could you imagine that we would be living in this time? That we would have gone through a period when we were forbidden to meet in this house? When we are in a period when uh, the restrictions that are being placed on us... Um, I would never have thought that. I would never have thought in a million years that this would happen. That, that we would see in, in, in North America the, the very foundations of truth uh, being rocked by the, the uh, liberal media and, and even the, 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 the conservative media. That truth would be so fragile and so abused in this time. I never would have thought that. And yet here we are. And I look at the book of Revelation now, and I suddenly, although I don't think these, the, the, the pandemic that we are in, I don't think that's one of the judgments, because it ends up actually being a little bit of a fizzle instead of a fire. And, and so, this certainly isn't wiping out a quarter of the population. But boy, oh boy, things are happening within our government, within the powers that be, that suddenly when I read about the Antichrist and I read about, you know, the, the conditions that are going to be there and, and, you know, that you cannot buy or you cannot sell and so on and so forth, suddenly all these things, suddenly they become more real to me. And, and I, I thought I had a pretty good idea of what these sort of things would look like. Boy, was I uh, mis, uh, misinformed perhaps or I was way off. So we have here uh, something that is so current, I believe. So I want to uh, look at it and I'll break it up into seven uh, groups. And the first uh, first grouping of Revelation would be the church on earth. And we know the first three verse or chapters of Revelation um, are the introduction. Um, so we see Jesus portrayed. John sees the vision of Jesus uh, walking among the candlesticks, and it describes him. All of these are um, uh, descriptions that we find in the Old Testament, uh, predominantly from Daniel, um, of who Jesus is and what he looks like and, and so on and so forth. And then uh, second and third chapter, he addresses the churches. And now this is something that we can really hold on to. This is something that we can grab onto, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think we oftentimes go into Revelation, and we go to the, the second and third chapter because it's talking to the church. It's talking to us. It's very tangible. And it is, in fact. But it's in there that we see um, so much of, of um, our own church reflected in our church life. And, and John wrote um, to the seven churches, not the only seven, but to seven churches in Asia. And these churches probably, uh, uh, when you break them all down and you, you, or put them all together, this is a, a really good cross-section of church life. The things that you are going to find happening in different churches, like the, the experience of a church. And this is things that we find too. I, as I go through here, I see the uh, different, not iterations, but these are things that at times we have to really guard against. The warnings, they, they're, they're, prom- they're pertinent to us. So it's, he's, uh, these are to the churches in Asia. Um, the, the address to the churches usually start with a salutation. 
Uh, these are from Christ, who we see in the first chapter. And, and so it always says, uh, that, you know, it introduces the one who has, uh, you know, the sword coming from the mouth, for instance. So it takes the image that we see of Jesus in chapter 1, and in this person, this image of Jesus, is the one who is now addressing the church. So, and then it usually follows a commendation or a recognition of the church. So I see thy works. And then a condemnation oftentimes or a rebuke. I have something against you. Except for Philadelphia and Smyrna. They're the only two churches that did not receive a, a rebuke. And then comes a promise. He that overcometh. And then he gives a promise. And these promises are always rooted in God's victory and the gift of the new Jerusalem. And so we see the introduction comes from chapter 1. And the, the promise given to the church is always from the last three chapters. And then a final exhortation. What are we supposed to do? And so I, I went through quickly and I looked at the different exhortations. So these are the things that the church was told to do. And these are the things that you and I are told to do. These are the things that when it says keep these words, these are the things that we need to keep. It says to the uh, church in um, Ephesus, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do thy first works. This is something that we all need to remember. To do our first works. To not forsake our first love. We need to repent. To the church in Smyrna, he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. <clears throat> and to Pergamus, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. So this is a, a speaking of the, the words of Jesus. Repent again. Um, uh, to the... Uh, Church in Thyatira, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. Don't forsake those things that you already have, those things that you've been given. To the church in Sardis, the dead church, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If thou, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Watch, it says, remember and, and the things that you have received and the things that you have heard and hold fast to those things and repent. Uh, to the church in Philadelphia, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Again, another promise um, or an exhortation to hold fast the things that they have. And finally, to the church in Laodicea, um, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be, mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness not, do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent, he says. And, and so to the church in Laodicea, he said, you need to um, uh, look to me for the things that you need, not to your self-sufficiency. And so he says these things to the churches. And these are all things that we need to internalize. We need to remember our first love. We need to repent when we go wrong. We need to hold fast those things that we have. We need to go to Christ and, and to uh, buy of him that's gold tried, the, the gold that's tried in the fire. And, and not be content with the things of this world as, as uh, the things that we hold up. Finally, in, in the, the Last three verses, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his, in his throne. So he's referring here to 
And this is, in a sense, we could look at this as the final to all the churches and to all of us. The kind of, in a sense, the final uh, exhortation. Um, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame. And so Jesus is holding himself up as the example of the overcomer. And it says here in Luke 22, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. The, the things that Christ have gone through, the, the temptations that he faced, the suffering that he faced or, or he experienced. And he says then, um, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying, You need to identify with me in my suffering, even as I overcame. As he gave us the example, this is how we ought to live our lives. And you see, because this is so pertinent to the churches, because they were suffering. This was a very bad time for the churches. Uh, and all of them were going through, uh, they had uh, attacks against them, sometimes very physical, sometimes from Rome, sometimes from the Jews. And, and so they needed to identify, they needed to be overcomers, even as Jesus was. And so The counsel of Jesus is not to run away. The counsel isn't to compromise. He says, overcome. And it's overcoming through suffering. So that's the, the, break it down to the the church uh, on the earth. And so now let's look at the next few uh, chapters, four to seven. And this is the lamb and the seven seals. Um, the first verse of chapter 4. After this I looked and behold the door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So now John is moving from the present. See verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 19 says write these things which thou hast seen. So that's the, the revelation of Jesus, the, the image of Jesus. The things which are, so the address to the church, and the things which shall be hereafter, it says in verse 19. And so now we move to, Revelation starts, the things that are hereafter. And so John sees this vision. So um, we see John is, the heavens opened up, it says, um, and John sees a vision. And the first thing he sees is the throne room, throne room of heaven. Um, God in his holiness is described. We see the four beasts, and it describes the beasts. We see the 24 elders, and how they are around the throne, and they are worshiping God. And so uh, we also hear the hymns that are being sung in praise of the one who sits on the throne. And John never identifies them, but we know it's the Lord. And so we see this picture of God on the throne, and his great holiness... And then chapter 5, then the question comes, who is worthy to open the scroll? And here we, now John sees the scroll in the right hand of God, and then the angel says, who is worthy? And nobody is worthy. And so then we have this, John says he wept, for none was worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So what are we to do? What are we to do when we come to this point where there's a, a vacuum or, or this, uh, this hopelessness perhaps that nobody is worthy, that the vacuum of authority, the vacuum of worthiness, and the, the, the angel says to him, weep not, but behold, look, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the, the root of David, he has prevailed to open the book. And so John sees this, and we need to look and, and recognize who is the one who is worthy, who is the one who, uh, through death, has conquered. It says in verse 6 of, of chapter 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and so on. And so John sees and he is told, look, you need to look at this. In, in this time when we, we so desperately need uh, a savior, he is the one and he sees Jesus. Not Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah or, or as the root of David, but he sees Jesus, the lamb. He's thinking in his, in his mind, you know, he's going to see this great warrior perhaps. And he sees the lamb as, a, as it had been slayed with the scars. And the one who bore the, the sin of the world, the one who took upon himself the wrath of God in, in, to replace us as a propitiation for our sins, stood there. And he was worthy. And it says then he went and he took the scroll. And here, that the most pivotal verse of all of Revelation, because this helps us to put all of these things into proper perspective. And it's, it's found actually much, much later, but Revelation 11, chapter 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so here we see in the, the throne room, Jesus, who is worthy, takes the scroll... And what is on the scroll? We're never told exactly what's on the scroll. But we can, uh, there's some, I suspect, although I, I, I can't say this is uh, 100%, but I suspect that within this scroll, because we see this as it unfolds, is God's transition from the kingdoms of this world partly being controlled by Satan to now completely being controlled by God and of his Christ. And what does that look like? What does it look like for now God and Christ completely and unchangeably taking the control of the earth? I'll tell you what it looks like. First seal. The second seal. And as he opens up each of these seals, we see the conditions, the things that are happening. God's will being enacted as each seal is taken or is opened up. And so we see... That Jesus, the one who's worthy, says, I'm going to do this now because I'm the only one who's actually able to, in a sense, enact or start into process to uh, start the will of God being played out. Because why? Because he is now the one who has been given all authority. Matthew 28, the theme in camp, right? The previous verse says, all authority uh, under heaven and, and earth has been given unto him. That's why we need to go, therefore, into all the world. But it says, it's, it's, a, it's an eschatological uh, verse. It's saying, all authority is given unto me. When Christ died on the cross, when it, it says in John, um, I, I don't have the verse written out here, but... Um, it says, by him dying and suffering, he defeated Satan. And we're going to see that, actually, uh, in, in chapter 12. But so here, the seals are open, and then the question in my mind, as I look through all the seals, is, who is for me? So when Jesus is now enacting this transition, when he is, in a sense, taking control of the world, who is for me? 
And so as each of the seals is open, the test is happening. It seems to uh, unleash uh, events that separate um, false belief from true belief. How will you as a believer respond to these events? How will you as a believer uh, uh, act when all of these things start happening? One uh, commentator says, Difficult times mark the last days for the people of God, but God protects them and they have a glorious a glorious future. This is what the seals, we can look at this. This is the, the question ringing out. Who is for me? And as each of the seals is open, and as each of these events happen, we start to see who are the true believers. The next section, uh, verses, chapters 8 to 11, it t- deals with the seven angels with the trumpets. And if the, um, if we could ask the question of the seals, who, who is for me? The question that, in, or the, the phrase that rings in my mind as we see the trumpets being, uh, uh, uh heralded, and, and then it's, let my people go. Because we see this parallel between the plagues of Israel, or of, of Egypt, that were, um, uh, upon, uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, when God was telling him, let my people go. And so we see also this time. This is a, a time of judgment, but it's a partial time of judgment. A time when there can still be repentance. Let my people go. In a sense, these plagues are here so that the people, the inhabitants of the earth, will always be returning and repenting. And it's, it's that encouragement, that call. These are terrible things, just like Pharaoh had that opportunity to always return and to go back to the will of God or to, to um, uh, submit to the will of God. Let my people go. The next trumpet sounds... Let my people go. Will you continue to be obstinate and and reject God? Or will you turn back to God? So the inhabitants of the earth, they had better come to their senses and repent during this time of partial judgment and continuing mercy. This is not the final judgment. This is partial judgment. We see that there is only a portion of the earth is is destroyed. Only a portion of mankind is tormented. uh, And only for a short time and so on. And so it's not the final judgment. But it's that time of saying, let my people go. Turn and repent. Revelation chapter 9 verses 20 and 21. Speaking, I think this is at the end of the 6th. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So even after the six trumpets had been blown, they still refused to repent. And yet, we see through the witnesses and so on, God's still reaching out. Still the gospel goes out. And then after the seventh trumpet, it is complete. That's where we come across the the verse, um, uh, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. After the seventh trumpet, it is done. And then the final thing that we see is a vision of heaven. John sees a vision of heaven. And then we stop. 
And then Revelation stops for a moment. We pick it again up, uh, pick up again in, in chapter 15. But for a moment now, so God's, Jesus, or John sees the, the kingdom, the throne room. He sees, uh, Christ, uh, the worthy. We see, we know that Christ picks up the scroll and he starts to enact this transition, in a sense, of uh, these things that are to test the believers, the, these, uh, happenings, these seals that are supposed to weed out who is for me. Uh, who is against me? And then we see also the trumpets who are that final call in a sense, that final let my people go. You know, these plagues, these things are happening, um, that so closely parallel the, the, the plagues of Egypt. And we can, I, I hear always that let my people go, come back, repent, turn from your wicked ways. And so now we have a stop. And, uh, the next section that we come to is the church being persecuted by Satan and the beast. And so the next three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, we see these visions, seven, um, uh, visions that John sees. And we know what they are. They are the, uh, the woman. We see the woman about to give birth. And, uh, she, she's in the pains of, of childbirth. And she gives birth to the child. And then we see the great red dragon. And the great red dragon wants to destroy the woman's child. And, and so he waits there, but the child is taken from the, the woman and, and taken up into heaven. And the, and the great red dragon is furious. And, and so we know that this is the story of Christ, uh, being born. But Christ was taken up into heaven. And even though the, the dragon was there, willing and wanting to destroy Christ, um, and even crucified him, thinking that that was going to do it, he didn't know the deeper wisdom of God, that this was actually by the way, or the way that salvation would come to men. And, and so he was taken up into heaven. And then we know that there's this great big battle in, in heaven. And finally, because of Christ being there, because of the blood of Christ now answering every accusation of Satan... He is cast out of heaven. The accuser of the brethren, it says, was cast out of heaven. And so we're starting to see this picture. Now, with the, the narration has stopped of what's happening in the hereafter. And we go have this vision of what's happening. What does all of this look like? In, in, in I, I want to say the metaphor. I don't know if that's the right word. The, the, the drama. It's almost like another little um, a movie that we're watching. A slideshow of some sort. And we see uh, what's happening. And we see that the accuser of the brethren, Satan, that, that serpent, he's cast out of heaven. He then uh, comes down to the earth and he persecutes the church. He's, he's attacking the church. And, and we can see that. Um, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this is the reality that we live in now, though. We live in a time when the dragon is, is wroth. He's angry. He knows that he's been defeated. He knows his time is brief. And he's coming for you and I. He's coming for the church. Then we see the, the image of the beast. Um, we see the second beast, which is the false prophet, um, and so on. And we, and we have uh, uh, other visions. So God is showing us um, things that are, are happening, almost in a sense of behind the picture or behind the scenes uh, happenings. Not, not what we see with our eyes. And, and therein is a, this is so important for us because we don't always see with our eyes very clearly. We go about our jobs and we go about our days and our lives and our relationships and we think, you know, oh gosh, things are really tough and, and so on. And we don't sometimes realize, even what we're going through right now, that we have a, an adversary. Ephesians uh, chapter 6 talks about, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is what it's talking about right here. 
that our adversary who's wroth, who's angry, and he's attacking the, the, the children of the woman, which is us, the believers. Within that time, within these, these visions that John saw, the church has given instruction, very pertinent for you and I. And those instructions are, even though we don't maybe know who the beast is, you know, uh, the Antichrist, and, and we don't know a lot of these things, we don't, can't understand all this imagery, but there are certain things that are concrete in this. The calls for the endurance of faith in this, for the saints. We need to endure. We need to keep the commandments of God in our faith in Christ. A couple times it says, this is the patience or the endurance of the saints. This is the call for the endurance. You need to keep the commandments. Even though the times are tough. Even though things are happening all about us that we don't understand. We need to keep faithful. We need to not compromise. We need to hold on to our faith in Christ. The seven bowls are the next section. So now we pick up again where uh, John left off. It says he saw this vision of heaven. And, and uh, you know, the heavens, uh, he could see into the tabernacle. And he could see the ark. And so this picks up again, but now begins the inescapable judgment. It says, The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. This is the final judgment. This is now the pouring out of the wrath of God on those who were given an opportunity to repent, but chose not to, who said, not today. And we see that there is no more time for repentance there's no more time for intercession. The temple is filled with God and no man can enter. So there's no longer a time where the priest could go in and intercede for, on behalf of the people. Revelation chapter 16, 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Again, this idea, this call to be watchful, to be alert, and to keep uh, our garments. So recognizing what makes our garments white, the righteousness of Christ, and, and not uh, uh, looking to our own stuff, our own ability to keep our garments white. Moving along, because we're totally running out of time, judgment of Babylon. We see here, uh, again, now the picture of Babylon. In Babylon, the, the, she's described as the great city, uh, but also as a harlot, and uh, many, many descriptions about her and how the kings of this world and merchants and so on, everybody's fornicating with the harlot, and uh, they're, they're living out their lusts with this harlot, and, and it, the imagery always points back to false belief. In, in scripture, the harlotry of Israel was always a, 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 an image that when they had left the true faith of God and gone to other faiths. And so it's very natural that we can assume that this is who the harlot is. The, I remember when we preached, oh, I preached about this, the isms, the isms of life. And even now, uh, Black Lives Matter in the U.S., the organization is a neo-Marxist uh, organization. Marxism is, is being promoted in, in America. And, and this is what's trying to draw people away from the belief in God. 
from the, the, the commandments of God, from faith in Christ, from the teachings of Scripture, is all the different isms of life. Um, legalism, uh, communism, socialism, Marxism, whatever isms there are, they're always presenting themselves as an alternative. Just like the harlot is trying to, to go to the believers and say, come to me instead. Don't just forsake this blah, boring God of yours and come to me instead. I have so much better and so much more uh, appealing and, and, and things that appeal to your senses and to your carnality. Come to me and, and live your life this way. This is how you have to, ought to live. Not according to the Ten Commandments. Those are drab and boring and, and, and repressive. Instead, come to me and, and I will give you what you need. And you see the merchants and, and the kings and, and how they loved what the harlot was offering to them. And here we see the destruction of the harlot and the, the instruction to us as God's people in, in Revelation 18 verse 4 says, uh, come out of her, my people, and be, and that ye not be partakers of her sins, that ye not receiveth, and that ye receive not of her plagues. That's the instruction to us. That's what we need to walk away from this and, and forget all of the, the, you know, the details that we're having struggle to, to understand, but just come out of her. Come out of this place of false belief. Come out of this place of compromise in our lives. Come out of this place where we think that um, we can mix Christianity and, and belief in, in Jehovah uh, with belief in, in maybe socialism or communism or something else like that. Because that does come into the church. Jesus said that for this reason have I come into the world to testify of the truth. Truth was so absolutely important and here the harlot offers falsehoods and lies. This is how you ought to operate. And that comes into her church. And the angel says, come out of her, my people. And then we see in Revelation chapter 19, we're moving along here. Um, when the harlot is defeated, when the city is destroyed, and, and that we have then the great hallelujah chorus and so on, it says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. <clears throat> Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. We need to then rejoice when truth prevails. We need to uh, rejoice. We need to sing hallelujah like we've never sung before. And we need to honor and glorify God when truth prevails over the lies of the harlot. This is something that we need to abide by, that we need to do. Even though we don't understand all the nuances and particulars. And then finally, the final judgment and the final victory. So Satan is cast into the bottomless pit. And I'm going through this really, really super fast. Uh, we have the thousand-year millennial reign. And then we have the final judgment and then the new Jerusalem. And so we see all of these things happening. And uh, the it would, would almost look like, you know, the, the Satan amassing the armies and, and he's going to come to battle and it looks so frightening and so on. And God in Christ on the white horse defeats him in less than a whole verse. And, and, and so we have all this buildup and all of this fear and, and we look at Revelation and, and we say to ourselves like, oh no, like this really, really bad. And, and, you know, like Satan is so strong and, and, and it's, it's terrible, right? And we look at our lives right here and we say, oh my goodness, like, you know, black lives matters everywhere and, and communism and legalism and everything. And it's, it's just, it's so pervasive and it's so strong. And how are we going to ever get through this? 
How are we over, ever going to overcome? It says be overcomers. And, and how are we going to deal with the darkness of our lives and, and the things about us? And in one verse, less than a verse, all of it was defeated. It's so anticlimactic that it's beautiful. Because Jesus just does it. And that's the Savior that we hold on to. The one who, without thinking about it, without having to, to even lift a finger if he wanted to, he could defeat and destroy all of this. And if we, not, if we get nothing else out of Revelation, if we never understand all of the, the, the mysteries and the pictures and the allegories and so on, whatever's there, we need to always, always, always remember that Jesus is victorious. And the image, the unveiling of Jesus that we see is that he is victorious and he's the mighty ruler and he is the one who rules over all. And that the nothing presented and put up against him will ever, ever conquer. Then we see there's the final judgment. Um, only those whose names written in the book of life um, need not worry about the final judgment. Everybody else is dead to rights. Uh, you know, your, your sins are there before you. No repentance. Everything is laid out in the books. And you're judged according to what you did. And there's no running, no hiding. And then after the judgment, we see the new Jerusalem. And so in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, look, look, people. John, you need to look at this. Brother and sister, we need to look. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We need to have, when we go through Revelation, we need to pause here. And we need to see with the eyes that John saw. We need to look and say, oh my. The tabernacle of God is with men. Do, you, do we, we can't perceive what that means. In our finite and, and, and carnality, we cannot perceive what it means that God himself dwells with us. We... What a glorious thing. John, look at this. Brother and sister, you need to look at this. God dwells with us. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I had to read it again. It's my favorite verse. In verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, Look, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Look, people, all things are being made new. Everything that's broken, everything that's hurtful, everything that makes you weep, it's all being made new. It's all being redeemed and being made the way it ought to have been made, or how it ought to exist. And then finally, the last chapter. Verse 7 of chapter 22 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Again, this, this idea that blessed, fortunate are we who keep the sayings of this book. Fortunate, blessed are we when we go through the scriptures and we see the things that are happening and going to happen. When we see the faithfulness of God. 
when we see the victory of Christ, when we see that even through these times when we would perhaps despair of our own life even, Jesus says, endure. I'm calling on you to endure, to be faithful, to keep the commandments. And although in our minds we may think, why, how, what is this going to do? He says, endure. I need you to endure. And if we keep these sayings, if we hold these things, and it's not just keeping, like keeping them though is, is, is more, it's like holding them, not letting them fall away. We need to hold on to these things, all of these sayings. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Let him who is a thirst. What a beautiful uh, a way to finish the, the last book of the Bible, of the canon. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you long for the the life-giving water, then come. This is, after all is said and done, after all is shaken out, Jesus says, I'm offering you the water of life. Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. What a beautiful way to end. What a beautiful call to end the scriptures on. I'm offering life. Will you come? Are you thirsty? Are you in great need? Even if you don't understand everything else before, hear the call. Come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.